Father, this morning we just pray for your help and for your anointing. We believe your anointing is among us today to do a work, to speak to our hearts. And we just pray that you would continue to move among us and help us today, Lord, to bring your word, Lord, both to preach and to hear. Lord, would you just break every yoke, Lord, every work of the enemy, Lord, would be destroyed by that anointing, oh God. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you, Lord. We appreciate, Lord, your presence in our midst today. Lord, it is our cry for more of you. Lord, we just need you more and more in our lives. Lord, we want to walk with you in these days. We want to know you more. Lord, that is the chief aim of our lives, Lord, is to know you, Lord, and to enjoy you, Lord. So, Lord, would you just bless your word to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have your Bibles this morning. Would you turn to uh, Habakkuk chapter 3? We're just continuing on in the Sunday mornings, uh, just with uh, the series of the life of God in revival. And uh, we've been looking at that life. We've been looking uh, at the workings and the dealings of God, uh, I suppose you would say pre-revival and uh, during revival and post-revival. We see how God deals and works with his people in his resurrection life. So we looked at that life. We looked at the necessity of humility for God to come to a people that need him. We need him this morning. And that is a sign of humility, our great need of the Lord. And then we looked at just that life that produces that holy life, a holy walk with God, the walk with him. This is the moving of the Spirit of God. This is what the life of God will produce, will produce a holy life. And then this morning, the life of God in revival. And you know, pre-revival, every revival, every move of the Spirit of God, you'll find that the Spirit of God began to move to bring a people together. This morning it is the life of God in revival and unity. And that is the workings of God, a unity of the Spirit. And so in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2, just our verse that we've been working from over these weeks, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. In Psalm, if you turn over to Psalm 133, a very well-known Psalm, Psalm 133. Short Psalm, just three verses. One of the ascension Psalms, as they would quote this Psalm, as they were ascending to the hill of the Lord or the house of God, it's one of the great ascension psalms they would repeat, Psalm 133. If you're all there, we'll read it. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Unity is like this, the psalmist says. David writes, this is what unity is like. It's a good thing, and it's a pleasant thing. But unity is like the precious ointment. This is what it's like. This is what the Bible tells us unity is like. Unity is like the precious ointment upon the head, the ointment that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, 
and then went further down onto the skirts or the garments. Or That word skirt means the mouth or the, the garment. And so he would be saturated in this holy anointing oil. It was God's recipe of these precious uh, spices that were forged together to make this precious ointment. And the, the, the unity of the brethren is like this. There's an oil that begins to flow from the head. We know our head this morning is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this anointing begins to flow not just onto the head, but it is poured forth. It's not a sprinkling. It's a pouring out of the anointing of God upon the head, which is Christ. The body is the body of believers that are gathered here this morning. Those that are saved by the grace of God, you are a part of the body of Christ. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. And so when there's an anointing begins to pour forth upon the head, which is Christ, then it flows down the beard. We see here that the vessel begins to be saturated with this precious ointment that begins to flow right down the skirts. He's likened it to Aaron, the great, the high priest in the Old Testament. And as they were sanctified or separated or made holy for the service of the Lord, the Bible tells us that, that, that they were to take the anointing oil and it says that they were to pour it on. You know, often uh, when Frank is here among us sometimes, in the midst of a meeting where there's a great sense of the Lord, you hear Frank just call out from the depths of his heart, pour it on, Lord. Pour it on. That's where he's got it from. He didn't make it up himself. He's crying out that there's a sense of God, and he's saying, Lord, we want more. We're not satisfied with just what we have, but Lord, would you just keep pouring it on? Would you keep flowing among us? Just the sense of God in our midst this morning what we're saying in the depths of our heart is, Oh God, would you pour it on? Lord, would you increase the sense of your presence? Because in your presence there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so this is what unity is like. This is what true unity of the brethren is like. It's like a precious ointment that is poured on. In Leviticus 8 and 12 it says, He poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him or to separate him unto the service of God. And this was a pouring rather than a sprinkling. And the priest would be saturated from the head running down to the beard, right down onto his garments. The oil would begin to flow just right through every part of his body. And there would be a fragrance. There would be a fragrance would come from the high priest because those special spices that were forged together would give off an aroma. And so he would be set aside or be sanctified or separated for the service of the Lord. And as he would come in to the tabernacle, so the anointing was upon him. But as he passed, if you were there, you would smell that there was a fragrance of the anointing. There's a fragrance when God begins to move, when the anointing begins to flow, when the oil begins to flow into the body, every, every part and every function and every need and every vessel and every heart and every life and every cry and every broken heart and every bruised 
individual this morning, every troubled mind, when the anointing of the Lord begins to flow, it doesn't matter what row that you're sitting in, doesn't matter at the back or the front, because if you're in the body of Christ, every part is essential, everything is important, and so when the anointing of the Holy Ghost begins to flow, He meets every need, He hears every cry, He heals every broken heart, He breaks every chain, He sets every prisoner free, He brings peace to every troubled heart, He brings the joy, the joy of the Holy Ghost. He changes the night of mourning into the joy that comes in the morning. And the weeping will last for a night, but the anointing comes and there's a joy. There's a rejoicing because Jesus is among us and there's an anointing. And so they would take the horn. This is what, an, this is what unity is like. In the eyes of God. This is what God says. This is what it is like when brethren dwell together in unity. How God longs for a people to dwell in unity. Because there he says, I'll command. See that word command? It means that God will give a charge. Can I tell you this morning, if God gives a charge, if God sends his word, if God speaks this morning, it doesn't matter what the demons in hell are doing, what the devil's doing, but when Almighty God speaks and commands the blessing of the Lord and a congregation, let me tell you, every chain is broken. Every demon must flee. The powers of darkness must go because Jesus comes in the fullness of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the cry, the cry, or this is like the brethren dwelling together in unity. What a picture. What a reality. The anointing flowing from the head. You know, they would take a flask or a horn, a ram's horn, just like Samuel did with David, and they would fill that horn or that flask. So we don't know exactly because every horn might be a different size. So we don't know exactly how much was in the horn. But when they got the, the high priest and he would stand there, they would fill the horn or the flask and they'd fill it with that anointing oil. Now as he's making himself ready to enter in to the courts and enter into the tabernacle and in to the Holy of Holies, the sacrifices first, the washing and going forth to that service of the Lord, they'd lift up that horn and they begin to pour it over his head and begin to flow. That high priest in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest this morning over this house. His name is Jesus Christ. And this morning there hasn't been a flask lifted with a limited supply. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and 34, For whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure, by measure unto him. In other words, this morning there's no limit. When it begins to pour out, you can never exhaust the flowing and the anointing and the life and the joy and the peace that comes from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, whoever liveth, who sit, see, is seated at the right hand of the Father this morning, ever liveth to make intercession for us. And when the anointing flows from our head, when the anointing, when the brethren dwell together in unity, there is anointing that begins to flow. Brothers and sisters, it is something wonderful. It is something that is so so tangible and so real because that anointing comes right into the midst 
of this body of believers. This is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ this morning. He is our living head. This is His body on earth. He laid down that body and it was risen up again and He ascended. And this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And so that anointing begins to flow. But praise God this morning, it never runs empty. It never runs out. It just keeps flowing. It just keeps coming. This is what it is like when the brethren dwell together in unity. He said it is like the Jew of Hermon. It is like, it. you remember, have you ever gone out into the fields and one of those mornings when the Jews come down? Isn't it a wonderful thing? You'd think it had been lashing all night. You'd think we'd had showers for hours and hours and hours. But as you walk out, there is like a white mist that lies over the ground. Every word is saturated. Your feet are soaking. If you walk through the grass, the plants are dripping. That is what it is like when brethren dwell together in unity. You know what happens in the spiritual? When the brethren dwell together in unity, there's a dew of heaven that descends down over a wee town like Balanahinch. And there is a spiritual mist that just saturates the whole land. It's a saturation of the presence of the Lord. The streets are saturated. There's a consciousness of a living God. People are awakened to their need of a Savior. Why? Because God has found a people that are dwelling together in unity and it is like the Jew of heaven. In other words, God saturates a town with His holy living presence. And yes, people do fall on the streets and cry out, what must I do to be saved? Paddy Kelly's bar would be emptied in a moment. The enterprise already closed, but the other one, it would be emptied in a moment. It all be closed when God saturates a community. That's what happens. That's what it's like when the brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the oil. It is like the dew. Thank God this morning that it's an overflowing thing. It's not a limited thing. Thank God we can say with the psalmist, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. But friends, our cups, what happens? It runs over. Is your cup full? And is it running over? This anointing, this brethren dwelling together in unity is a very unique thing. But I want to point out to you what's important. It says in this psalm here, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. What did I leave out? The most important word. Together. You see, the word unity simply means that we're assembled. So anywhere there's an assembly this morning, not just in the church sense, but anywhere, if there's a football match in a stadium today, the word simply means there's people assembled. They're all in the stadium. But you know if it's a football match, they're not necessarily together. And so this word together is absolutely crucial and understanding what the brethren dwelling together in unity really is. Together in unity, the word unity there simply means to assemble, but the word together is so crucial. It is something different. It means, the word together means to be one. 
Not just that I attend the church on a Sunday. Not just that I will I go to the meeting. Not just that I tick a box or show that I do something of that. And that's important. That is important. It begins with that. But just beyond that is when we come together, is there a togetherness? That's crucial. And this is the anointing that we need. Jesus prayed this prayer. If you turn over to John chapter 17, this means oneness. John 17 and verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, John 17 and 20, but for them also which shall believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us. That they all may be, what does it say? One. As thy Father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In other words, Christ brings us the mystery or the revelation of the Godhead and says, as I am one with my Father, so that they may be one, that there would be a demonstration of the unity of the Godhead. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This word togetherness is crucial for understanding truly what unity is. You know, there's an awful lot of false unity today. The interfaith movement, the ecumenical movement, so many movements that are false, and they move in the name of unity. We are unifying all this together. You know, there's a preacher on not so long ago, he said, I just want to say that the God of the Muslims, the God of the Jews, the God of the Hindus, the God of the Buddhists, and the God of the Christians, it's all one God. We're serving the same God. We're all the children of God. That's a lie. There's no unity or there's no blessing in that. But that's very popular. And we know that that's not the unity what the Bible is talking about. This unity is a togetherness. It's a oneness. And this was crucial in the New Testament church. We see it when the people of God come together. We see it in the rebuilding or the reviving of the temple in Nehemiah's day. We see that in Ezra chapter 4, if you turn over to it, you'll see how they came and that word together is used again in order for the purpose of God. In Ezra chapter 4, if you turn and verse 1, Ezra chapter 4 and verse 1, it says these words, Ezra 4 and verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, to the chief of the fathers, and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto them since the days of Ezarhaddon, king of Aser, which brought up us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You will have nothing with us to build a house unto our God. These men were seeking unity. But look what they respond with. You will have nothing to do with us building a house unto our God. And then it says this, 
But we ourselves, and what's the word used there? Together will build on to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. When they went to build, when they went to see a reviving, when they went to see a rebuilding of the temple, what was critical for them in moving forward was there was a togetherness in going forward. We can assemble, but the understanding of togetherness is something different. We can be in one place, but we need to be in one spirit. You see, Pentecost came to a people who were united, a life a humility, a holiness, and a togetherness. That word together is crucial. If you turn over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, this is where the blessing is commanded. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. We see the power of God moving. We see Peter. We see the 120. We see God opening the windows of heaven. We see the moving of the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 2, 41, it says, Then they which gladly received his word were baptized, The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together. That's a key word. They were together. They had all things common. They sold their possessions, their goods. They parted them to all men. And as every man had need, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they were breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with the people. And the Lord, what did he do? He added to the church daily such as should be saved. The blessing of the Lord was upon a people that were together. There was a togetherness. You see, God gathers and the devil divides. God gathers and the devil divides. We are told and instructed, if you turn over to Ephesians 4 and verse 1, anyone who brings division or tries to bring schisms into the body of Christ will do the devil's work for him. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes instructing the believers in Ephesians 4 and 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how then is togetherness achieved? Do I have any responsibility in that? Do I have any responsibility? Does every member of the body of Christ have a responsibility in achieving togetherness? I believe we do. How does it all work? What have I to do? In Nehemiah's day, it says that they built the wall and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof because the people had a mind to work. The mind of the church is crucial in unity. It's really important. Togetherness comes on the condition of the mind of the church. The mind of the church, that word simply means to be in one accord. Now that should strike something with all of us 
to be in one accord. You know, I went out this morning just to pray before the meeting. Met Jonathan standing behind the door at the back, and he was tuning his guitar. He making sure that those six strings are going to be perfectly tuned because if he got up here and one of those strings is out, we would recognize that he's out of tune. So this idea of being one accord is togetherness in the body of Christ. Years ago, I played the banjo. It's a very simple instrument to play. It's only, you only need to know three chords, not complicated. C, F, and G, and you're away. But I played with another man who played the banjo as well. It's an awful instrument on your ears. I understand that. But, and we're not going to resurrect it. Everyone calm down. But there was another man that I played alongside. All you need to know is C, F, and G. But all he knew was C. So, so once, once you started playing, you can understand what I'm saying here. So once you started playing, whatever it is, this is the day. Maybe that was an F or G, whatever. I'd say this is the day we're in F. No problem. C the whole way through it. So even if you change chord, he just kept, and it's a banjo, so you can imagine it's not the quietest of it. He just kept, but he enjoyed it. You know what I mean? He was singing, this is the day and see the whole way through. He loved it, but he wasn't in tune with the rest of the body. You see, you can. You can this morning, brothers and sisters. You can be here, but that doesn't mean we're all together. The cry of our hearts is there's a togetherness, not a facade. Not just something of an outward plastic, say all the right things, but a true knitting. That's the heart of this church. If you're against that, brothers and sisters, I say that respectfully to you this morning. If that's not your heart, then please find another church. I say that honestly because the heart is to bring together. There's a togetherness. There's a heart. There's a unity that we're striving for, not in a wrong way, but in a right way. Now, we're not here just for to play our own guitar, our own banjo, and our own key. I'm saying that metaphorically. But we're here to be in harmony, first of all, with the Holy Spirit, but then to be in harmony with one another. That then gives off a beautiful tune that pleases heaven and the blessing of the Lord. That's togetherness. Well, I'm just going to play and see. In the spiritual realm, it sounds awful. And so we see this togetherness, this mind was crucial in the early church. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We'll see this mind, or this one accord, was crucial in the moving of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued, everyone continued, with one accord. In prayer, supplication with the women, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren, where we see it, there was a mind that was one. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, just prior, just prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that's why I'm saying before there's an outpouring of God in extraordinary ways, God had already will bring a people together who are together in unity. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. They were in tune with the Spirit and with each other and in one place. Acts 2.46, we just read it a minute ago. Acts 2.46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, singleness of heart. They were in tune 
They were in tune with the Holy Spirit. They were in tune with one another. There was a one accord. There was a mind that they had that brought them together. Acts chapter 4, verse 24, it goes on. Acts 4, 24, when they were opposed, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. There was a united lifting up in a prayer meeting. Everyone lifted their voice at the one time. What a place to be. They all called out to God and they began with one accord to lift their voice and say, Lord, thou art God, which has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so God came and the house was shaken and the blessing of the Lord was upon them again because they were together. There was a unity. There was a one accord. It wasn't just that they were in the one building. This one accord, how is it possible? How? If we know that God's saying, this is what the blessing is. And this is what it looks like. It's like the ointment. It's like the anointing. It's like the Jew of Hermon. This is how brethren dwell together in unity. Hi, if you know that's what the blessing is and that's what we desire. What have we to do or what are our response to all of this? Is there any part that I have to play? Well, I believe every one of us who are saved have a part to play in the brethren dwelling together in unity. We all have a part to play. Some may say, well, revival's a sovereign act of God. I have no part to play in it. That's wrong. Revival is a sovereign act of God, but we are, we are, have to be ready to be willing to be moved with God and what God is trying to do in our hearts and our lives. We have to be willing to move when God is moving. And there's a key in all of this. The mind of the church is crucial. If you turn over to Philippians chapter two and verse one, we read here really what the revelation is of what the one accord, how it comes about, how it happens when individuals respond to the dealings of God for revival. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. This is the church, this is the body. Having the same love, then what does he say? Being of what? So we want to be in tune. Brothers and sisters, you want to be in tune. We just say amen. We all want to be in tune. As they say, singing off the same hymn sheet. Isn't that right? We all want to be in tune with what God's doing. So being of one accord and of then it says one mind. So there should only be one mind in the body. There should be only one tune that we're playing. It says then in verse 3, and this is how it comes, let nothing, let nothing be done. Let nothing be done through strife or fear and glory. What are they? These are the works of the flesh. The flesh profiteth what? Nothing. What does it bring? Doesn't it bring death? So strife and vain glory will bring death. These are the works of the flesh. This is the manifestation of the flesh. Do you know, I would put it to you this morning that I would believe that most of the activity of the enemy today in the church is not the devil himself, but it's the works of the flesh. I believe in a real enemy. I believe in an enemy that's against the church. I believe that he's raging. I believe hell is being spewed out on our nation. But I believe within the body of Christ, most of what we're witnessing and seeing and the grieving of the Holy Spirit is because of the activity of the flesh that's in the church. And that has robbed the church of its power over the life of the blessing of the Lord. And so we see, Paul writes, let nothing be done through strife 
Don't do it through strife or fame glory. These are the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, I believe it is. All the works of the flesh are displayed for us to read. Striving or fame glory, but in lowliness of mind that each esteem other better than themselves. This is the opposite to the world, isn't it? Is it the complete opposite to the world? The world's way is, I will walk over you to get to the top. And no matter the cost or the price or the damage that I will do to you, it does not matter. What matters is that I'm tops. I'm right. And this is completely opposite to the kingdom of God. With all loneliness, let each esteem other better than themselves. Not Let not look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Now I want to take the amplified version and open it a wee bit of a coup this morning. It writes, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with the attitude of humility, be there neither arrogant nor self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. That's the world. It's me, it's my, it's I. It's what I'm going to get. It's what I'm going to achieve. I want it. And if I want it, I'm going to strive for it. I'm going to push for it, no matter what the cost. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, that is what has come in to the church in a general sense. It is no longer about him. He's no longer the center of all of this. It's about them, and it's about what they do. It's about men and women being lovers of themselves, rather lovers of God. And so we are instructed, if we really want the blessing and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the dew of Hermon and the presence of the Lord to descend, then it's the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ which says, listen, just don't be out for yourself. It's not all about you. Think about someone else. Have you looked across the the, the pews this morning? Have you looked across? Is there someone missing that's normally here? Are you thinking about them? Or are you just thinking about what I'm going to do? Are you concerned about this is really what the mind of God is? This is the mind of Christ. It's the opposite, isn't it? It's the opposite in the world. The world don't care. You're just a number. It doesn't matter. Listen, you know in the secular world, if they're going to sack you, if they don't need you anymore, you're gone in the morning. You're just a number on a payroll. And if they don't need you, you're gone. But the kingdom's different. Because the ones that are missing this morning are important. The people that are coming, everyone's important, everyone's vital. Let me show you the kingdom mind, the way of the Lord. Let me show you what it is true togetherness and unity comes and where the blessing is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the great chapter on Paul bringing the idea and the revelation of the body of Christ. This is where it is because if it's just me and I and promotion of ourselves, brothers and sisters, that's the flesh. 1 Corinthians 12 and 23 says, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. This is this is completely, uh, this isn't the world. You know, those who work in the world, work in secular employment, that's not, that's not how the world works. If you're not making your cut, if you're not getting your sales, if you're not doing your job, if you're, what do they do? doesn't matter what you're going through. You're sacked. 
They have no thought of it. They have no concern for you. You're a number. There's no loyalty. That's the world. In the kingdom of God, it's different. See the people. If you're here this morning, don't want a hand up. But you might feel this morning that you're the most insignificant, weak person in this building this morning. If you're in your heart saying, I know that's what I feel. I'm going to tell you something. In the kingdom, you're the most important person to Jesus. How does that work? Oh, but I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm just a nobody. Nobody cares. I don't know what's happening. I couldn't do that. I can't preach. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't whatever. I'm just a nothing. I have no education. Sure, look at me. I'm just a nobody. Can I tell you this is the way the kingdom works? You are everything. You're the greatest in the kingdom of God. The least is the greatest. Think about it this morning. It's the opposite even to where the church has come to. And it's the opposite of the world indeed. If you feel that this morning, I want to tell you, you're the most important person in the kingdom this morning. How do you work that out? This is the kingdom of God. This is the mind of God. But I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I've come from nothing. I could never do anything. I can see those people do, but I could never do. And I'm not talking about wallowing in self-pity. I'm just talking about there's a a sense of low self-esteem or whatever it is. And yet this morning, by the grace of God, he saved you, first of all. And number two, know what he says? You're the most important person in my kingdom. That's not the world. The world's the opposite. You're a number. You're disregarded. You're not even looked upon. And you know, that was the wonderful thing about the ministry of Jesus Christ. The people that gathered around him were the nobodies, were the social rejects, were the prostitutes, were the sinners, where the infamous people went. Where did you find them? At the feet of Jesus. What was he criticized for? Because he sat with sinners and he broke the bread with them. And he brought life to them and he healed their bodies and he delivered them. Brothers and sisters, that's church. The day and the hour that it becomes too clean. I talked to a brother yesterday He says, our church don't want the dirty kids in. We want the kids from the developments in. And the kids from the developments need to come in. They need to come in. I'm not talking, but their church, he says, a lot of people in our church, they don't want the wee roughings in. The ones with a foul mouth, the ones that haven't got much, the ones that are nothing because it dirties the place. Listen, bring the dirty ones in because Christ can clean them. That's what's happening in the church, brother. This is happening in our doorstep. This is happening in our life. You might think that would never happen and it would never happen here. Praise God it would never happen here. But listen, we need to know this morning, those that are least are the greatest. And so when they're missing... You're vital. You're important. When I walk into our coffee morning on a Thursday, I want to tell you something. It does my heart good. Because I see a people, and I mean this really, I hope it's taken the right way, but I see a people that there's an awful lot of our people wouldn't want. I tell you, Jesus wants you. Religion may not want you. Denominations may not want you. The self-righteous may not want you, but Jesus wants you. You know, this is the mind of God. This is unity. This is really it. Those that we think to be less honorable, we bestow more honor upon. You're really important. And our uncomely parts, we more abundant 
parts have more abundant comeliness. I'll come to that in a minute. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, have given more abundant honor to the part. Listen, this is really awesome. He gives, listen to me this morning, if you feel so weak in yourself and so insignificant, here's the anointing. Having given more abundant honor to the part that's lacking. See the part that really isn't going to make it? This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this room. Give you more. More than what you could take. More than what you even ask for. More and abundantly, exceedingly what you could think or ask. God wants to give you it all this morning. But I don't deserve it. That's the grace of God. That is the grace of God. He says that there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care. Completely impartial for one another. Because a schism in the body is a division that comes when it's order like that. A religious order. That's not the body of Christ. Well, I, I know more. I, I've greater, thank God that we do. But Paul had a thorn in the flesh because of the revelations that were given him to keep him in a place of humility. And so what the Amplified says concerning these verses, but now... As things really are, there are many parts, different limbs and organs, but a single body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not have a need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. But quite the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are absolutely necessary. And as for those parts of the body which we consider less honorable, these we treat with greater honor. And our less presentable parts are treated with greater modesty. While our more presentable parts do not require it. But God has combined the whole body. Giving greater honor to the part which lacks. So that there would be no division or discord in the body. That is a lack of adoption of the parts each other. But that the parts may have the same concern. And if one member suffers all the parts. Share the suffering. If one member is honored, everybody rejoices with it. The uniqueness of the body of Christ. The uniqueness. Someone suffering this morning, not in a a false way, but this whole body should suffer with you. Somebody rejoicing because God is using them and then everyone should rejoice in that. There should be the same, but one can't say to the other, I don't need you. I don't need to be part of a fellowship. It's not biblical. It's not biblical, brothers and sisters. It's the day we're in. It's the day and the hour that we're living in. I don't need to be part of a fellowship. Some others would say, well, I just go to tick the box. That's not the body of Christ. That is not it, brothers and sisters. It's a forging. It's a part. It's I need to be part of something. And so if someone says, I don't need to be part of it, they're out of the will of God. Because we do need to be part of a fellowship. Doesn't matter where you go. It does matter where you go. It does matter where you go. It does matter that you're part of a fellowship. But then, this is what Paul says, Philippians 2, coming to a close in a few minutes. Philippians 2 and 5, he says, This is where the t- togetherness comes. Now let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind that we're to have. This is the one accord. This is the togetherness. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, 
being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The mind of Christ, the mind in the church comes through the crucified life and the death of the flesh, the death of self, no longer striving or pushing or, or, or trying to go forward in our own flesh, but there is a deep humility of saying, God, I want to die to self, but I want you to live in my life. If we are Christ, Galatians 5 and 24 says, and they that are Christ, this is what we have done. And this is what we do. It's not a one-off deal. This is what we have done and this is what we do. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another or envying one another. This is the crucified life. The blessing of together and unity is achieved when the mind of Christ is in the body, the death to ourselves that the life of God may come. The life of God in revival brings about a unity, but we have a part to play. Everyone who's saved, I have a part to play. You have a part to play. That life, that anointing, that dew of heaven, there God, what does he do? God commands the blessing. That's the blessing that we pray for. That's the blessing that we desire. That's the blessing that we want. That blessing is life, even life forevermore. When the brethren dwell together in unity, it is like precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, went down to the skirts of his garment. As the Jew of Hermon and as the Jew that descendeth upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life. We need the life, don't we? We want the blessing. But that mind of Jesus is a crucified life. Lord, let us die to ourselves. Let us love one another as you have loved us. Let us have the same care. Let us all walk in that humility. But can I tell you, brothers and sisters, here's the kingdom. The least is the greatest. The least is the greatest. What a Christ. What a kingdom that we are a part of. Let us bestow upon the weak. Let us love them the most. Let us care. Let us honor them. Let us lift them. This is the kingdom of God. Is it not the opposite to the world? Completely the opposite. May these values ever be in us and may God bless us with unity, togetherness for his glory. Let's pray together.